The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. We've got Jake Williams joining us today. He is a cybersecurity manager and an aspiring CISO. Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Really excited to be on here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time uh, first time joiner. Well, we appreciate the long-time listener thing. I, that's That makes me feel good. I think you're the first person who ever said that. <laughs> I'll send you your check for $5 in just a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit about your 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 path, how you started, why you started in IT and, and cybersecurity, um, and where you're at now, and and just things that you learned along the way. So it, it all starts back in high school, which you may be able to tell by the color of my beard was quite a while ago. <laughs> That's why I don't have a beard, but I can't do anything with this up here. Yeah, we had a we had a program where we got some old computers uh, from the government. They pulled out the hard drives, gave us the computers, we refurbished them. So back even in high school, I started doing computer work. Um, went to school for computer science, realized that even though I was a decent programmer, I absolutely hated doing it. Uh, and then just basically <laughs> switched into the, uh, you know, the MIS field um, mm -hmm. and, you know, started working, worked my way up from, you know, help desk to system administrator. Um, and eventually uh, found out that firewalls were a passion of mine. Um, so started in the security side. Um, and then just I was with a company in the uh, defense industrial base. So basically a company that, that provides services or software to the federal government uh, on the defense side um, and started uh, just kind of working my way up there. Um, became pretty valuable uh, at the company. Um, they had an opening for a management position. And I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and, and try managing and moving to that. Found out that I like that even more than, uh, you know, the technical side of the house. So kind of sitting down and, and managing people and working with, with uh, governance and risk and compliance, um, learning about all the different regulations that we were under on the defense side. Uh, and that's kind of how I got to where I am today. So I liked one of the things that you said in the beginning, um, just a little bit of a pivot where um, I know that on LinkedIn, there's always a lot of like talk about how do you get into cyber? And some people say start at the help desk. Some people say, well, no, why should you start at the help desk? Or, 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 and I heard you said that you actually started working on help desk. And I did as well, too, for, for a portion. Um, why do you think that that was important to as, the, as a foundation for your career? So the two things I think are really important on the help desk. Number one, you kind of have to learn how other people are thinking so they can explain their issues to you and you can work with it. And it really helps your communication skills is mm -hmm. one of the things that I like a lot. Being able to explain to people, you know, here's here's why this is happening. Here's how to do it. Um, also, you know, it helps your documentation skills, um, being able to document how and why you did it. And to me, it gave me a really broad understanding of all the different issues you could see um, in the field. And I really like that, uh, you know, I have I have a lot of experience across a lot of different areas. And I think the help desk really helps with that because it gives you a, a broad vision into a company or the the different issues that people face there. Yeah, and I totally agree because it, it's very difficult to understand um, cybersecurity, information security for a company if you don't understand the company. Because you really need to understand the flows back and forth. So I, I I would agree with you. And I think that actually starting out help desk, not for an extended period of time, but just uh, to get some of that experience going. And then uh, our tracks were for, somewhat similar because I, I 
did that and was network uh, administrator. And eventually, well, you said that firewalls were kind of something that you found that you love. I'm like, I got dragged into it as a network guy. I'm like, well, who else is going to do the firewall? It's a network thing. It's like, well, okay, I guess. And then it's, uh, at some point in time, I realized that I was spending more time blocking stuff as opposed to making things talk to each other. And then it's like, okay, I guess I'm like one of those security people that I hated. <laughs> so so you say you say that you work uh, in the uh, DIB, Defense Industrial Base. And um, so for those people who don't know what Defense Industrial Base means, how would you define it? So, so basically anybody who is providing some sort of services or um, hardware equipment um, or, uh, you know, anything to the government. So, you know, I've worked at companies where, uh, you know, we were creating servers um, or others, other electronic components that we'd put on to, you know, drones or airplanes or ships, things like that could be radar, um, could be recording equipment. Um, you know, I've worked down all the way at the bottom where we're, uh, I was working for a company where we were basically making metal parts to go on to airplanes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, parts of the wings, things like that. Um, and then now the company I'm working for, they uh, basically they do a lot of service work. So a lot of research and development for the government. So there's there's a broad range of services, things you can provide. Um, so there's there's a lot of companies out there in, in the defense industrial base. And they're not just like your big companies, like your Lockheed's. I mean, this can be like really small shops that are part of the whole supply chain, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The company I'm with now is about 600 people. So we're definitely in the SMB space. You know, we're, we're 600 people spread out over the country um, doing lots of really interesting work, but we're definitely not one of those huge prime contractors. What um, th this is a little bit of a different uh, take because primarily the companies that you work with and, and been involved with, I would imagine, are all defense industrial base type. Um, but from that perspective, from an SMB threat risk, what would you say is a one of the most significant information security threats to small and mid-sized to uh, DIB small and mid-sized businesses at this point in time? Uh, I, I really still feel that the biggest threat is is phishing um, and kind of you know understanding the the people that are trying to get in there doesn't matter the size of your company the, the attackers don't really care um, if they're not you know if they're not a, a nation state that's trying to gather the information that you have um, for the government they'd be more than happy to take any of your financials from you. They'll take any kind of money they can, you know, ransomware or redirecting payments somewhere else. And I'm still seeing phishing as really the, the number one way for them to get into companies. And people used to say, well, I don't have to worry really about phishing because all phishing really is. I mean, at least as far as the credential theft side of it, I should say, um, all, all that that is on that side is just folks trying to get your username and password. Well, and you get some companies that say, well, I don't have to worry about that because I got multi-factor authentication in place. But we find out now we've seen so much about uh, multi-factor authentication fatigue with with the bad guys like trying to get in and they're banging on the door, banging on the door. And you're, you're getting, I don't know where I put my phone, but you're getting um, all these alerts on your phone. And then finally you just say, oh, to heck with it. I'm just going to go ahead and accept it and people get in. Now, I've read a lot about that, but have you seen that actually in action in, in any of the folks that you've dealt with? Not the ones I've dealt with personally, but I can certainly see that from an SMB side because, you know, we, at the size we are, we have enough IT people that it's easier to reach out and find somebody um, because we are mostly like an engineering and R&D type firm. Um, but if you're at, at a company that's doing like a lot of manufacturing or something like that, you're, you're um, 
your IT staff's generally a lot smaller and they may not know who to reach out to. They may not have somebody to reach out to. They're just like, forget it. I'm just going to say, yeah, something's messed up there. Um, so I haven't seen it personally, but it's certainly something that I am concerned about and, and communicating with my employees. And particularly with the uh, SMBs and the DIB space, see, now I'm getting really into the acronyms right now. Um, we have so many acronyms in the field, um, but they, uh, they're no longer just like providing, say, materials for one of the bigger ones and then further up the chain and have to worry about sec uh, their security or anything like that. The government is actually putting into place uh, more requirements. It used to be, if I'm correct me if I'm mistaken, but it used to be that you could do a self-attestation against NIST 800-171, which, as I understand, thanks to um, Jacob Horn, who's going to be actually on our uh, podcast at the end of the month, um, mentioned that that's like a subset of 853. And um, but but you could just say whether or not you do something or not. But now that's not good enough. And you're actually we're actually heading down the path of CMMC and C3PAOs. Did I say that right? I think I yes. did. It's that Star Wars thing and messes me up. Um, uh, that that are the, they're actually going to have to be audited. And this includes small and mid-sized businesses in the DIB, right? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's working with the government is going to have to go out and pay for one of these uh, these assessments to come out, uh, make sure that you're doing everything right. And it's not, unfortunately, it's not all easy. Some of it is pretty easy to do. Some of it's uh, a little bit more difficult. Um, it takes some time to get ready for this. And I, I would imagine that there's probably some smaller um, contractors, subcontractors probably that are thinking, well, maybe it doesn't apply to me because, well, we use the example that uh, at one point in time that uh, you work for a company that supplied metal parts that actually then ended up on airplanes. Well, on the surface, no pun intended with flight surface or anything, you might think it's like, ah, you know, I mean, that's not like anything like really super confidential or, I mean, it's just a piece of metal. But in reality, that in and of itself could be considered CUI. Is that fair to mm -hmm. say? So anything associated with it, because you can you can take that information and perhaps like combine it with other information and or even understand maybe where there's a weakness in an aircraft part, for example. Yep. And you said CUI. So that's for anybody out there who doesn't know yet. That's controlled, unclassified information. So basically anything that's not at the classified level through the government, but still needs to be protected. Um, if, if you're not in the government, uh, the DIB space, you may not have heard this before. We hear it all the time, a comparison of the Chinese J-35 to the F-35. They look almost exactly the same. Um, and this is what we're worried about protecting is that they they have a, a leg up on us because they've been stealing our R&D work for the past decade or more. Um, you may think, hey, it's just, you know, this is just a metal part, but there's specifics as far as how that's manufactured to handle the heat handle the stress, um, you know, made so that it, it won't get brittle, but it's still light. Those kinds of details are what the adversaries are looking for. Um, if they can have us do all the research and development and then go steal that from us, well, that takes a, a couple of years off their development cycles. And that's you know, really what Siemens protects. And, and I first became aware of that. I was, a, I was a big fan of all things space when I was growing up. And uh, I think I was like in eighth grade when the uh, when the first shuttle went up. Um, that's probably about right. Maybe I was a little bit older. I can't remember the exact year. I want to say it was 81, but I'm not sure. But then I remember uh, my first year of college um, or second year of college, uh, 
so this would have been like 86, 87. I, I learned that the Russians actually had a space shuttle and I saw a picture of it and it looked almost exactly like ours. And they actually did one better. They, they, they flew it once. Baran, I think it was called. There was a the snowstorm, I think is what it translates into. But but they built on the technology that they most probably stole from us. I think that they said, well, come on, there's a lot of similarities to spaceflight. It's going to look the same. But there was just a lot of things that were just too close. But they actually improved upon it and and automated it. So the only flight was a totally automated. And I think that that's a big, big concern, too, when we're looking at uh, not only uh, our adversaries stealing our technology, but improving upon it, where, where we're just struggling still to just keep on going, building as we go. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a hugely important, uh, part of what the DIB or the dibs, I guess he's pronounced a dib is the correct pronunciation. That's how usually we say it. Yeah. But do you, do you say CMMC any other way? Like Simic? No. <laughs> <laughs> scary. Yeah. Scary. So, all right, let's talk a little bit more about the scariness of CMMC because I've had some exposure to it. I'm a registered practitioner, but I'm, I have not gone further up the chain only because a lot of our clients are not uh, dib. So I'm going to start saying dib now. Um, but it can be, in some ways, it's not all that terribly different from doing some sort of like normal assessments, like if you're just assessing against a framework. But in other ways, it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more, uh, um, you have more requirements as far as the type of evidence that you would need to provide. Um, for someone, a small and mid-sized business that is considering going through first like the um, readiness assessment for CMMC and then pre prepping for the actual audit from the C3PAO, what advice or concerns or gotchas would you would you think are out there? So if, if you're looking at, uh, so CMMC is based on uh, NIST publication 800-171 mm -hmm. and there's one that's called NIST 800-171 alpha, which is basically all the different things that you have to do to assess that. Um, and so you have to make sure in, in 800-171, there's 110 requirements, but then some of those are broken down a lot further in 171A. And so there's 320 determination statements that make up those 110 requirements. And sometimes you will look at those determination statements and like, how does that even tie back to the, the text of the requirement? Um, and that's the hardest part is making sure you're going through and uh, and looking at all those different um, determination statements and make sure you're, you're doing all those things. Um, that's really the, the toughest part of it, I think. And, and if I'm remembering correctly, there, there are a few levels that, and I'm probably going to get these wrong, but there are a few levels that you can assess against. Like you're, you're, you, you haven't done anything with it. You're planning it. It's in partial implementation. It's fully implemented, and um, you have to actually say fully implemented to all those determination statements before you actually meet that one of those 110 requirements. Is that correct? That is correct. In order to to get a full CMMC certification with, uh, you know, with no follow-ups or anything, you have to be doing every single one of those 320 um, determination statements, which is, which can be a lot of work. And it's not just doing them. You have to be able to prove to an auditor that you are doing them. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, variability in there. where like you can say how often you're doing some of those things. And so there is some flexibility there. 
the the problem is that if you say that you're doing something annually or monthly, you have to be able to show to an auditor that you're actually doing it. Um, you know, so if you say, hey, we do a tabletop exercise every month, that sounds great, but you haven't done one in two years, you're going to fail on it because you're not doing it at the, uh, you know, at the, the frequency that you say you are. So what sort of evidence is required to show an auditor that you're actually meeting the requirement, the, the uh, declarative statements, I think I got the term right, of, of the requirement itself? So it's going to depend on what the statement is. So um, some of them ask you to define things. Um, so, you know, you, you define how often uh, you require something to happen. And that in itself, the only evidence you really need to show the assessor is that you have a policy or something written somewhere. It could be a policy. It could be in a, in a system security plan. Um, could be somewhere else just basically saying, hey, here's how often we do this. We've defined it. Then, so that'd be like one determination statement. The next one would be, um, you know, saying that you are following what you've defined. And that's where you'd have to show them some sort of evidence. One of the things that I like to use as an example is some of the training requirements. So you may say, you may say we train our employees on um, insider threat annually. So there you've defined it as annually. And then you're actually also going to have to prove that you do it. So like we use, uh, you know, we use an LMS for that. So we have a, we have a, a statement in our plan saying that every year we give people insider threat training and then we provide an export from the LMS showing, hey, here are employees, here's the last time they've taken training. So those two things kind of combine, show that to people. And then they'll also, the auditor also want to see what the uh, training is that you give them. So it could be a combination of uh, a policy that has some, um, you know, some uh, descriptions and definitions in it could be some evidence uh, from that. And then certain other things, they may want to see it live. You may need to go into like your active directory and show, hey, here's how, you know, here's all the employees that we have. Here's the, you know, the systems that we have, things like that. So you mentioned, um, uh, I hope I get the acronym right, SSP, which is, I believe, System Security Plan. So far, so good? Correct. All yep. right. See, I actually paid attention when I took the RP training. Um, so what, is needed in an SSP and how is an SSP different from say uh, an information security policy that you might see as an overall governance document in some sectors that are not uh, DIB? So an SSP is basically you're, um, you're describing how you're meeting all of these controls um, mm -hmm. and the determination statements. So an SSP will usually refer to other policies. So like we have an acceptable use policy that says, hey, here's what you are allowed to do, here's what you're not allowed to do, here's how you request exceptions. So in our SSP, we have a description of, hey, we are meeting this control through our acceptable use policy. That is how we're defining acceptable and unacceptable behavior. So we're referring to some of these other policies there within our SSP. It's kind of like our overall overarching document. Um, so it'll point to things such as um, you know policies and procedures that we have within IT, policies and procedures as far as um, like physical security or HR department. Um, so it's it's it talks about a lot of different things. And I found it best to use the SSP to reference other documents that are in turn used by either employees or different people in the company, where the SSP is kind of like a, a guiding overall document to explain how you're meeting security requirements. Does it does it also include like roles and responsibilities laid out, or is that just a pointer to another document? 
that's what I like to put in there. So um, the company I'm at right now, so they're backing up a second. CMMC is not rolled out yet, but there is a group inside the government that comes out and does these audits to see how well you're meeting this. There's not like a pass fail. So the company that I'm with now, um, I started and I had about eight weeks to get ready for what's what's very close to CMMC assessment. Um, so I had to learn everybody at the company. So I went down and I figured out here are all the roles that I need, the responsibilities, and then who are the people at the company that I need to talk to. Um, and it, while it's not a requirement in there, it certainly helped me to understand who I needed to talk to to make sure that the text in there was right and that we were following along with it. So I like having the roles and responsibilities in there because it's a good uh, a good reference point, although it's it's not a requirement. Yeah, that's why I, I equate some of it to, in some other sectors, what we would call the, the information security policy. And you may also have one with a DIB as well. But um, a lot of times, and, and the one that comes to mind is finance, because I worked, I, I was a bank CISO, and I, I work with a few FIs still. And it's more or less an overarching umbrella document. So it's like you, all your governance is involved in the ISP. And it sounds like that the SSP takes a lot of that as well, too. And yes, there are pointers to like saying that all employees must follow the acceptable use policy, for example. And then the details will be in the AUP, that sort of thing. Um, and the reason why I mentioned that is because it it is very difficult sometimes for people that work primarily in the in the non-government sector to understand this stuff. And I know um, you and I actually met, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2019 at the National Cybersecurity Summit. I think I was doing a talk on VC showing or something like that. Probably. You were. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have coined that phrase, VC showing. But, and I think that was the second time that I was actually there. I haven't had an opportunity to go. I didn't go this year. I went last year, but I'm definitely going to go next year. But I digress. The first time I went there, that was my first like full exposure to a conference that was solely focused on DIM. And there were some, there were some communication issues. I think I had translation issues where I'd be talking with some of the vendors and they're using acronyms or they're using just general terminology or phraseology that I'm, I had to do a translation in my head and understand uh, risk management framework, for example. Well, it's like, yeah, I've been doing risk management for a while, but did I ever work with that before? No, not exactly. So tell me a little bit about it. Um, and that's the reason why I ask about that, because I know that there's going to be so many. I think that this is a big risk to SMBs in the div space. I think that there's so many of them that ha are suddenly becoming forced to not only accelerate their security program, assuming that they haven't been doing what they were supposed to be doing, hopefully they were, but also understand all of this lingo. And I think that that's going to be a huge, uh, or it may be, I like your opinion, a barrier in adoption to CMMC. I mean, what are your thoughts about, on that? I definitely agree. I mean, anybody who's worked in the government space knows that uh, there is an absolute love for acronyms, you know, on the government side and the defense side. And, you know, like you're talking about RMF, CUI, DIB, CMMC, uh, you know, all these different acronyms just come flying at you. Um, and until you've been immersed in it, it's just like, what the heck do you mean by all this? And so there's definitely a lot of translation that people have to do and understanding, you know, what some of these different things are, what the roles of the company are and what's expected of them. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be a big learning curve. Uh, and there's there's really 
there's some people that are like, oh, CMMC is going to going to go away. The the government's never going to require everybody to do this. But information security and our, our loss of data, you know, and the concerns we have with our adversaries are only getting worse. Um, you know, look at the the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, concerns over North Korea and Taiwan. Uh, you know, they the the adversaries are more than happy to take whatever we can, and we really can't back down on on the IT security side. Um, and and that's the main reason why we do it. It's not for compliance. It's to protect, and particularly in Dib. And I will always say Dib now. I, I want to say I got dibs on it. I don't know. Um, okay, so it's very stressful working in IT and infosec. I know I've been there. I've, I've been doing it for over thirty years, and and I've I've survived it. And uh, but I've survived it by by sometimes decompressing. Sometimes I do some good stuff like running, and sometimes I do some bad stuff like drinking. And sometimes I just run to the bar. So I combine them together. Um, I'm not advocating drinking for uh, decompressing. But what's one thing that you do to kind of decompress and get away from the stress? So, so my decompression is something that most people are going to think is absolutely crazy. Um, so I've got four kids. My younger two are 11 and 14, and I coach them both in soccer. So both uh, during the spring and fall, two nights a week, I'm out at the soccer fields for about two hours. Um, like this year, I'll spend an hour with 12, 10, and 11-year-olds, and then I spend an hour with uh, 16, 12, to 14-year-olds. Um, and you think that's crazy choosing to go out and spend that much time with a bunch of kids. Um, but we really have a, a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, my teams are never great, but it's, it's a rec league. So you get all sorts of skill levels, but going out there, planning that, um, seeing the kids grow, you know, in their skills, seeing the teamwork, um, you know, seeing them go from possibly a bunch of strangers to like a, a real good team. I think there's a lot of parallels there to, you know, my management style. Um, and my, one of the other things that I do is I, uh, I'll mentor people outside of work um, as far as cybersecurity goes from, uh, you know, from high school students, college students to professionals. Um, so those are the kinds of things, uh, the, the soccer itself is, is a big thing that I do to, to decompress. Um, no, I don't, I don't... I can... Well, so I, I get some of that exercise out there too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's crazy at all. In fact, I think that that's a, that's, that's a really great point. And also about the mentoring, because it's so important that the next crop of folks that are coming up that don't have as much gray here or here, um, you know, that they, they, uh, they have sort of like a beacon because I know when I started out in cybersecurity, there wasn't such a thing. When I started out in IT, there wasn't such a thing. It was data processing. So um, I think it's great to go forward, to move forward. And speaking of moving forward, what are your future plans? So right now I'm actually uh, in my MBA, uh, an MBA program with Auburn University. So making sure I've got a nice, solid business background to go all with the, go along with all the technical stuff I've done. Um, next uh, next step up in my career is going to be a CISO. Um, so that's uh, that's where that's where my plan is to go, um, and then just continue uh, you know continue mentoring and, and helping out others and continuing them on their path to wherever they want to go in their careers. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I have no doubt that you're going to make an outstanding CISO. Thank you, Greg. I got uh, people like you that that have gone along and shared your path, and that's you know super helpful to me. Well, to, that's to what 
Yeah. And that's what this is all about. It's just sharing stories and helping each other along the way. So, well, Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure. I so much enjoyed talking with you and appreciate your time just spending about you know 20 minutes or so with us today. Thanks so much, Greg. Really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. All right, everybody stay secure.